Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again for another interview episode. A brand new sport on the show. We're speaking to an athlete from a sport we have never, ever spoken to. Field hockey, finally. It's my sport. It's a sport I very much could have been an Olympian in. Maybe. Would have had to be good for that. Uh, Ashley Nelson, uh, hockey roo, played in the 2012 London Olympics. Stellar career for the Hockey Roos. You'll hear me in just a moment mention how many games and goals and medals and everything she achieved across her very esteemed career. And this is a great chat, learning a little bit about how she got into the sport. Why the Olympics weren't necessarily a goal for her when she did first start playing the Olympics. A real sliding doors moment for her in what led her on a path to eventually representing Australia at the Olympics, as well as talking about some challenges that came with her representing Australia at the beginning and sort of the challenging way her career essentially ended, what prevented her from going to a second Olympics in Rio. Great chat, really learning a great insight into her career as well as a bit on the sport of field hockey, which, uh, as you'll hear me say in this interview, we'll drop the field from at some point and talk about the real hockey. Sorry, Canada, if you are listening. Here's our chat with 2012 London Olympian in the sport of field hockey slash hockey, Ashley Nelson. Always excited to bring a new sport to off the podium and a sport which I'm actually quite ashamed that we have taken so long to talk about on this show because this is the one sport that I can actually say... I could have made the Olympics, maybe, if I was any good at it. Uh, Field hockey. And we've got our first athlete from field hockey today. She competed in 205 games for the Hockey Roo, scored 69 goals, represented Australia at the 2012 London Olympics, is a two-time Commonwealth Games gold medalist, a World Cup and Champions Trophy silver medalist. And let's be honest, from the best sport at either Olympics, because it's field hockey and it's a great sport. Ashley Nelson is with us today. Ash, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm sure our credentials are exactly the same. I've heard yes. about your reputation of playing hockey and uh, very, very good. <laughs> well, that, that just settles it then. I, I don't need to achieve anything more on this show. I, I am known outside of Tasmania. So, uh, <laughs> yes, obviously. I, I, I really didn't want to pursue the whole career because I just would have been too good. And I, I, you know, I just want to give everyone else a chance, you know? Like, yeah, the financial on. gains as well are great. So, um, yeah. you know, you really missed out there. No. Yes, um, yes. Pleasure, pleasure to be on the, the podcast. And um, it's good that you finally got field hockey on. Yeah, I, I somehow we've had uh, two ice hockey people on before we've had field hockey people on. So I, I don't know how we've managed that. I, I guess it's that whole Canadian connection we have. But uh, I, I love, obviously, the sport of... Uh, I'm going to start calling it hockey. We don't need to refer to it as field hockey. We've done the introduction now. The Canadians can put up with us calling it hockey here. Uh, I obviously love 
hockey. Australians love hockey. I mean, it's such a uh, a popular sport here in this country. And and you obviously started playing it at a, at a very young age. When when you started sort of playing the sport and kind of going through the ranks, was this always something that you sort of strive towards for, for putting on the Hockey Roos jersey and, and going to an Olympic Games? Um, probably not, not to be honest. Um, I actually grew up in a small country town in um, Wagen, which uh, has about a population of just over sort of a thousand or so people. Um, and I, my, my family actually uh, were playing down there and um, I kind of went along as a five-year-old and my two older brothers were playing and my dad was playing and aunties were playing. So it was kind of one of those things that you just kind of went and did and um so I kind of tagged along and um, as I kind of went on, I you know got a little bit better as you do when you're competitive with your brothers. And um, at the end of the day, I went to boarding school up in Perth. And by that stage, I sort of played hockey in Perth and you kind of get a little bit more exposed to the level of competition. And it's at that moment that I realised when I was about 14, I was like, oh, you know what, maybe I'm actually not too bad at this whole field hockey kind of thing. Um, and I kind of went on and I went to my first... Um, state tryout and I had a bit of a sliding door moment because I went and I, I tried and I got through the first round and um, my family was going away on holidays and I was like oh you know what I really want to go on this family holiday rather than go to um, the second tryout to make hmm. the state team and my mum and dad sort of said to me listen you've made the commitment you've signed up you should see through the trials um, you're not going to be able to go on your holiday down to a place called Albany which is you know, um, that's a nice place, but I wouldn't say that it's like going overseas or anything along those lines. <laughs> so anyway, I went along and I kept up and um, managed to make my first state team. So, you know, it was a sliding door moment of basically I either go on holidays with my family or I sort of start my hockey career. And um, from there, things just kind of, you know, sort of fell my way. And um, by the time I sort of got to 21 was when I made my debut for uh, Australia. So, Sort of to answer your question, no, I didn't think that was very good. No, I didn't have any aspirations to be an Olympian. I don't think I ever really watched hockey all that much growing up. Um, it just sort of happened to be the one sport that I was good at because, to be honest, I'm pretty terrible at different types of sports. I'm not particularly coordinated and I've got horrible balance. So uh, <laughs> it just kind of happens that hockey must have been my thing. I was going to ask where you're growing up, sort of watching the hockey roos, you know, Atlanta, Sydney, you know, back-to-back gold or anything along those those lines. But, I mean, were you aware sort of that, that moment you pull on the hockey roos jersey, obviously of that success and kind of the history and everything that sort of had, had come with the team at the Olympics? Oh, absolutely. Uh, later on, as you sort of start to become more um, invested in the sport and um, spend more time in the sport and develop, you certainly start to understand just how good they were. And um, unfortunately, you sort of go back and you kind of take a look at footage and there's not a whole heap of footage to watch, but the footage that you do see, um, there were certainly some very, very talented uh, women within those sides that had uh, sustained su- success over that period of time. So um, as I've got older, I think I've appreciated it more, but just when I was younger, I think that I sort of, when I went to the, watched the Olympics, it was always kind of swimming that I remember or athletics that I remember, not necessarily um, hockey. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you end up ever going to Albany then, Ash? Like you, you made it there eventually? <laughs> uh, Albany, it's a, it's a, I love it because over here we call it Albany. Um, but yes, and you know what? I actually went back the other week to, to Albany and it is very beautiful. It actually reminds me a lot of Tasmania. Right. Um, 
it's a very sort of southern town, um, very cold, um, but it's got beautiful views and uh, the whales are in at the moment. So gorgeous place, got there eventually and uh, managed to have a hockey career as well. So at the end of the day, I didn't really miss out too much. I think I made the right decision not to go. I, I, think, I think so. It seems, it seems that way. <laughs> now, I always, I love it when we get people on the show from sort of small towns and finding out who is notable from those small towns, are you the only Olympian from Wagen? Cause I believe Wagen's the home of the Matiras. So obviously uh, known, for, known for them, but are you the only Olympian to come from Wagen? I am the only, I think I am the only Olympian to, to come from there, but certainly it is known um, as a home of the Matiras. So those that maybe don't really know AFL, um, two really Aussie rules, great players, Phil and Peter Matera. Wally Matera was actually really good as well, sort of played more at a, a waffle level. Um, but, yes, they're probably the great sporting prodigies that came from the town at the time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, I've managed to come along and represent hockey. Um, but, the, you know, there's a great pedigree of athletes actually coming from the great southern region. Um, Bevan George, who also went to the Olympics, um, with the men and managed to win gold. He's from Narragin, so not too far away. So it's kind of one of those things that we sort of claim him as a, a, a Wagen uh, person as well. You know, Narragin, Wagen, same, same, but different. <laughs> well, I've got to ask just quickly on the topic of AFL then. Are you are you Frio, West Coast, kind of go out, go outside of Perth? Like, is, is there a preference? No, I am West Coast and I actually went to um, the 1992 Grand Final Wow. At the MCG, yeah, when West You'd Coast uh, won. Five, wouldn't you? I was Very five. Young. I was five years of age, and I still remember it because we made this wonderful sign uh, for Peter Matera, and we went to put it up, and we got immediately told to take it down because it wasn't sort of <laughs> kosher. Um, and at that moment in time, I think I chucked the biggest hissy fit that has ever been seen. And then I slept <laughs> through the entire grand final, only to wake up to go onto the grounds of the MCG. Um, and cry the whole time there as well. So there's this photo of me on the MCG looking gorgeous with these little stockings and my West Coast Eagles jersey on, and I've just got this red face and look like I've been crying for about <laughs> the, the, the whole game, and that's my memory. So um, wow. <laughs> I, I am a West Coast Eagles passionate supporter. Um, this year left a, little, or left a little bit to be desired, but um, yeah, I do grand follow. final though. You get a grand well, final in your backyard. It. It's like we consolation. Do, we do. <laughs> it's very exciting. Finally, we get the AFL grand final over here and neither side makes it. Yeah. <laughs> typical. Wow. Jeez, typical indeed. The, the one thing I love about Perth and Western Australia, I mean, it's it's kind of that that colloquialism, the, the, the pride that you have sort of coming from Perth and, and then I can imagine when you make a, a national team coming from Perth, I mean, were there many other sort of teammates that were from that from that region Would you sort of, when you were making the team, had, had gone up the ranks sort of through Western Australian hockey with some other girls and does that make it a little bit more special when there's kind of a, a group of you making a team, you're all from Perth? Yeah, I think it, it does. I think that um, WA's kind of had a little bit of funny history with representation within the hockey rules and probably when I first um, sort of started I'd have to say that there actually wasn't sort of too many in there we were a very strong state when it came to actually playing our um, Australian Hockey League in terms of winning but it didn't really translate to selection um, within the hockey rules um, so when I sort of came in and Halliday had really been sort of holding the uh, the mantle, so to speak, as far as um, being the WA person to be within the hockey ruse. Um, but then to WA's credit and also the 
um, development that they put into players, we kind of had quite a rapid influx of um, WA players make it into the hockey ruse. So um, that was really nice to see. And there was probably at the time between four or five girls from Western Australia at any given time within the team while I was sort of playing across my 10-year tenure. Um, and, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is that majority, you would say, would have come from the country. So it just sort of shows that coming from a country area here in Australia, relatively isolated, doesn't necessarily equate to not being able to make it at an international level. If anything, you know, coming from the upper Great Southern um, or your sort of southwest region, it's probably a little bit more common that you would make it at an international level. Wow, wow. I'll correct myself too. I, I mentioned Perth about 20 times in that question, not Western Australia, of course. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. There's more to WA than just, just simply Perth. When So when you made your debut for the Hockey Rouge, you mentioned you were about 21. So was this roughly around about the time of, of Beijing? Was it after? I mean, was sort of you on the cusp of potentially making a, a Beijing Olympic team? Yeah, so I had kind of had a, a relatively sort of interesting um, start. I probably... Um, my development was interrupted. I had a knee reconstruction really young as a 17-year-old, so um, got into year 12 and I slipped on a stick and I partially tore my ACL and then after that I went around a goalkeeper and then it fully went. So I probably had to have an ACL repair at quite a young age. Um, so it took me a little while to probably get back up to speed and um, I went to an under-21s tournament, funnily enough, in Tasmania, where you're from. And yep. um, that's when I first uh, got selected to go to play for the Hockey Roos. So I think there'd been some kind of injury. Um, somebody had maybe broken their, their hand or, and um, I got a phone call out of the blue one day and they just said, um, we need you to get on a plane and come over to South Australia. Um, you've been selected to play for the Hockey Roos. And at that moment in time, I'd had really limited sort of experience with uh, training at that sort of elite level. Um, but, you know, you take the phone call and you agree. I still to this day don't know who actually called me. Um, but wow. I got on the plane and headed over and uh, made my debut in, in South Australia. And I did, I guess I did well enough. Um, that was in 2017. So sort of the year before Beijing Olympics. I think it was enough to kind of show that maybe I had sort of potential to be a future player. Um, and so I got selected in the Olympic squad to go to Beijing. But to be honest, in, in hindsight, while it was a good experience in terms of um, being part of an Olympic training program, for that to be my first year within an elite environment, it probably, I, I don't think I was physically nor sort of psychologically ready for being in that environment for my first year. And I think that we probably have got a lot better in terms of managing athletes and their expectations and also the expectations of the organisation for those first year athletes coming through. So, um, yeah, to say that it was a positive experience in that first year, um, probably I learned a lot about myself, but it was a very sort of stressful year. Um, and, you know, going forward from that, I think that um, it made me a better player but I think it could have been managed a lot better. What What was the aspect of it that was so stressful? Was it the fact that all of a sudden you're, you're now on the Hockey Roos squad kind of and it's sort of it's just dealing with all of a sudden making it to the, the highest level of the sport? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, it's really important to kind of, um, you know, when you've got a first-year player coming in to make sure that you know what sort of the expectations 
are of you. Um, you know, if I got selected for the Olympics, it would have just been an added bonus. You know, really they selected me to be part of the squad to get that experience. But I think I kind of headed into it and straight away put the pressure on my shoulders of, well, I'm in the squad, you know, people expect me to be selected for the Olympics. And, you know, it's a lot to kind of um, take on. And already you're sort of on the back foot because you're competing against girls that have had, you know, four to well, sometimes, you know, eight years um, within the program already. So, you know, you're sort of playing catch up and then to put that pressure on your shoulders straight away of going to an Olympic Games when really it's probably not necessarily the most realistic thing. I think that that was quite hard to, to grapple with. Um, and, you know, I felt like I was letting people down if I didn't get selected. And it's just kind of probably a young mentality to, to have. But we need to remember that we're, you know, dealing with young girls and young boys that, you know, some of them are only sort of late teens or early 20s and probably don't have that perspective or ability to kind of um, reason as to, you know, being able to kind of put things into perspective and say, if you go, it's a bonus. If you don't, you've had the experience of actually being part of an Olympic campaign and that's more than enough. Um, so I don't think I really had that sort of support or that discussion um, with my coach at that moment in time and it would have been really valuable to kind of have and like I said I think that that certainly has changed as um, you know we've come to sort of understand the importance of, of mental health and um, yeah it's good to hear that you know people kind of coming through now I think um, have a bit more of a, a base both psychologically and also physically when they come into a program. I, I was going to ask if that is changing and if it's not is it something that you are or would like to sort of be more involved in based on the experiences that you had back when you first made the squad oh listen it definitely has changed and it changed in the time that um i was actually part of the program you know like now when there's a new player that comes in there's not necessarily the expectation of um doing the same physical components or training program as somebody that has four years experience you know there's a gradual introduction Whereas when I came in, it was kind of like, well, you're in here now, so you do the entire thing the same as everybody else. Um, I think that there's a little bit more understand understanding that, um, you know, you're spending time away from home and getting these um, young girls and boys to make sure that they go back on a little bit more regular basis um, is really important as well. So it certainly um, has changed for the better. And there's a lot more awareness on it as well. Um, I'm part of the Players uh, Association and so certainly trying to, I guess, make it a little bit more professional. And, you know, when you go into a business now as to just how much emphasis they put on understanding people's mental health just as much as um, making sure that they're, you know, physically, uh, physically well. So it is a positive thing. Um, it was a hard lesson maybe to sort of learn as a, what, 21-year-old not to, I guess, pin your self-esteem and your self-value on your performance in hockey. Um, but moving forward, that certainly helped me with sort of, you know, when you have an injury or might not necessarily be performing to your best level, um, that I still had a positive level of a, a self-esteem. What was that moment like, can you remember, Ash, when when you got that phone call, you got the call up and, and you're wearing the hockey roos clothes, you're, you're representing your country, you know, is at that point just everything sort of had come to that point where it maybe not necessarily was the goal starting off in hockey, but here you are, as I said before, you're at the, you're at the peak of this, the sport, you're representing your country in the sport. 
Yeah, to be honest, I think that when I made my debut, it was just such a whirlwind. I mean, the whole process of getting over to South Australia to meet the team, having the random call up um, and getting there and then all of a sudden, you know, being expected to play. Like it just seemed like it was a bit of a, a dream. And I remember kind of getting onto the field and the first five minutes, I was absolutely exhausted. Like the, the intensity and the level was just so much higher than playing, you know, state under 21s. Um, so I think I remember coming off the field going, oh my gosh, this is so quick, so fast. They are so fit. How am I going to run out the game? I've only been playing for five minutes and I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, and I think also I was a little bit nervous because you are nervous of making a mistake. You know, you kind of put that pressure on yourself that you think everybody's perfect. And then I remember that I finally got this one ball and I passed it through and to the lead of um, Nikki Hudson, who uh, for those that you know don't really follow hockey, um, Nikki was sort of the a very iconic player for the Hockey Roos, mm. a very good player, captained the team as well for a long period of time. Anyway, she got the ball and she just completely missed it, uh, missed the goal. It was a you know an open net, and at that and and it was kind of um, you know while it wasn't great that she missed it because I think we ended up we might have actually ended up winning, but um, I remember thinking, oh, that makes me feel a little bit better. You know, even Nikki Hudson makes a mistake like that, so. Um, that was a, a positive experience to sort of take away from um, the game. But, yeah, probably the pinch me moment of knowing when I had um, made it was actually when I probably started to feel as though I was playing to my um, best level. And I think that sort of came in 2009 where I kind of had a, a standout tournament, which was Champions Trophy here in Sydney. And... Um, you know, I was playing sort of midfield and I had come back after the 2008 Olympic campaign um, and wasn't really sure as to my longevity within the, the squad and team and went out there for this Champions Trophy and just had a really strong, consistent tournament where I felt confident what I was doing. Um, I felt as though that I was, a, you know, a, I guess playing my part and my role, so to speak, within the team. And I felt like I was adding value to the team. And that's probably when I kind of went, this is what it feels like to um, be part of a, an elite team and be um, happy within a team and know that I've got the ability to kind of match it with the best in the world. In terms of sort of your positions over your career, I mean, did you prefer the midfield? Did you like it when you were up forward? I mean, did you ever sort of dabble in defence much? Sort of, you know, what was kind of your, your preference over the career? Depends if I was scoring goals. If I if I was scoring goals, well, then I was enjoying being a forward. If I wasn't, then I was a, a midfielder, you know? Good answer. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that I'm still playing at the moment and I found myself at um, centre defender, central defender. Wow. And, um, yeah, the only place I can go now is into being a goalkeeper and then after that I think I have to retire. So it's this kind of natural progression that as you get older, you get further and further back into the, you know, defence and then, onto the sideline and then um, then I would just have to stick with coaching or something. But um, I actually, I think I, I preferred midfield. Um, I think that it was a little bit easier to get involved in the game. Um, and on top of that, I, I think my ability to kind of read the, um, read the ball and kind of get ahead of the play once we had that said transition and turnover um, allowed me to actually probably score more goals from the midfield than being a forward. Um, so getting onto sort of what we call the back post and getting those deflections and 
um, getting ahead of my my fellow opponent. So yeah, I'd say that my preference would be a midfielder. But hey, when you're in a team like that, you don't really say no to where you get put. You kind of um, just enjoy the moment and uh, make the most of actually getting the opportunity. I, I I was a goalie. I actually didn't start out that way. Uh, it was kind of just forced upon me. There was a season where we didn't have a goalie. We'd lost the opening two games, I think like 20 nil both games. So they're like, we need a goalie. Come on, Ben, your dad's a goalie. Put on pads. You've got them available. And it kind of stuck. And I guess my claim to fame, Ash, is that I stuck with that. And then eventually a certain Eddie Ockenden used to score about however many goals he did a game against me. So <laughs> I, uh, I interviewed him many years ago and I said, uh, you know, I think you owe your career to me for letting you practice all those goals that you scored back in the day. So uh, I, I like to think that I made Eddie Ockenden happen. Hey, you know what? I think that you're not the only goalkeeper that Eddie Ockenden would have snuck a few goals past. <laughs> but, um, he's a one, wonderful player and uh, that's that's the thing with being a goalkeeper. I think a lot of goalkeepers, it's very rare to hear a goalkeeper that goes, oh, I made the choice to be a goalkeeper. It usually mm. happens at a junior level where there's that rotation system, isn't there, that you've got the yep. one set of pads that's like a one-size-fits-all. So no matter if you're this, like, child giant or you're, you're tiny, you know, you've got to wear these pads um, and basically stand in front of the goal and just hope that the ball actually gets hit at you in order to, to make a save. So I even had my stint as a goalkeeper. Nice. Um, the key is just don't do well in it and then they don't put you in there again, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know how I kept my spot. The first game we lost 15 nothing, <laughs> And I, I remember though everybody was like, oh, Ben, like you did. I, I think I got three votes. And they're like, we would have lost 30 nothing if you. I'm like, we lost 15 nothing. I'm not best on ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just kind of think how bad the other guys must have been. Well, exactly. So, <laughs> you never know. You could have actually been quite good. And if you got Eddie Ockerton against you, they probably went, ah. Oh, 15 is not too bad. He got yeah, 20 against the Eddie. other bloke. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had a bad game. He had a, he had a, he had a bad game. That, that period sort of, uh, you know, make the team and obviously leads to an appearance at, at the London Olympics and you're sort of saying your breakout year in 2009. Commonwealth Games gold in, in, in 2010, obviously pretty special. I mean, sort of when you're going through the ranks and London's getting closer, you're on the squad, I mean, was this all of a sudden this just this realistic goal that all of a sudden that hey this is what I'm striving towards I, I want to make that Olympic team in 2012? Oh, absolutely! I think that um, 2012 London Olympics certainly was the the goal and it was a realistic goal. But you know, a lot of people say, oh, you make your your own luck. And um, to be honest, I think that in sport there actually is a large element of, of luck that has to go your way in order to probably have the career that um, you aspire to have. Um, and, you know, sometimes I have been lucky in my career and sometimes I, I haven't. Um, but in lead up to the, the London Olympics, um, I actually had been playing quite well. And, you know, in my mind, I thought that, yep, if I keep on progressing the way that I'm progressing and playing the way that I'm playing, that um, I should be selected. Um, but then I got a really bad bout of patellar tendonitis, which really affected me. Um, managed to come back from that. The tournament prior to <laughs> the London Olympics, I ate a chicken sandwich prior to my 100th game. I got severe food poisoning, ended up in hospital. Um, wow. And um, so I didn't really get to play that tournament that was essentially a selection tournament for, for London. And I'd already missed a significant period of time off because of this patellar tendonitis. So, you know, I mean, what are the odds of eating a, a chicken sandwich and end up with food poisoning in hospital in a 
you know, a, a tournament that uh, essentially could sort of make or break whether or not you get selected for the London Olympics. So fortunately, luck was on my side and I think they sort of based my selection on what they knew I was capable of doing and how I had been playing prior to the tendonitis and, and my, my severe food poisoning. Um, my poor roommate, I look back at that now and just think, gosh, the things that she probably would have seen and heard, um, it wasn't great. Um, but, you know, luck was on my side there. Uh, and there's nothing that I could have really done about it. Um, Which, where do you, do you never go back to that place again when you got the chicken sandwich? Like, I mean, gosh, well, I'd like, be scared off for life. To, to be honest, I, mean, I think it was like one of those like like Tesco's or Marks and Spencer or you know one of those stores. And I, I remember thinking at the time though, which is weird, I was like, you know what, this is a really good chicken sandwich that I've made. I'm feeling really good about this. <laughs> and then um, I was getting strapped for physio and went, you know what, I'm actually not feeling so good now. Um, mm. And yeah, quick trip to the bathroom and it was all downhill <laughs> from there. I think that I spent my 100th game playing against Holland. And um, it was in England and it was like a makeshift turf that they'd put into place. And so they didn't really have a, like a, a stadium. Um, so they had these kind of like little portable loos at the back of the, um, oh, the no. turf. And so that's where I spent my 100th game. It was a really <laughs> memorable moment. And from there, it was all downhill, ended up getting admitted to hospital because I just couldn't keep anything down. So it wasn't wow. the best time of my life, but it's kind of funny now that you you look back at it and it all worked out. But, you know, I look, I fast forward to sort of um, Rio Olympics and 100 days out, out from Rio, um, same kind of thing. I thought, yep, been playing really well, looking like I should go if I can kind of, you know, keep my position with the team and keep on progressing. And then I tore my ACL again. So, you know, you kind of go, well, there's nothing that I could do. Um, I put my best foot forward, did everything right but I got an injury that essentially ruled me out for my Olympic campaign. The timing was just really bad. Um, so I think luck does play a large element in um, whether or not, you know, you go to the Olympics one time, two times, three times. You know, I was eligible to go three times. Probably two of them were realistic to go to and only end up going to one. Mm, I was going to say sort of you, you mentioned before that sliding doors moment that sort of, you know, got you representing the state and everything it's kind of almost a little bit that way that one thing gone a different way you could have been on that plane to Beijing and yep, one thing gone a different absolutely. way you could have been Rio and yeah three-time Olympian which I mean at the end of the day though you're an Olympian no one can ever take that away from you you got to experience London uh you know one three obviously uh at the end of the day you've got that OLY after your name all the time Ash it can never be removed I mean just that experience of of representing Australia at, at an Olympics kind of not just in the competition side of things but being in the village kind of experience all of that lifestyle I mean how how can you describe that? How do you reflect on that sort of nearly a decade later? Oh, I, I think that, um, and this is, you know, what I sort of said about that moment in time in sort of 2008. I walked away from that, I guess, learning how to put things into a bit more sort of perspective and, um, you know, not base my, my self-worth based on my hockey performance. And it was an important lesson because, you know, if we're just solely basing whether or not you had a successful career on the amount of Olympics that you went to, there'd certainly be some people that are very, very talented um, that, you know, were successful in their own right, but maybe just didn't kind of go to an Olympic Games. Um, I was very proud and still very proud of um, my career, you know, to play over 200 games for Australia, going to multiple Com Games and World Cups, which, you know, World Cups and Olympics are sort of on par to a certain extent. Um, 
But yeah, to go to London, I think out of, you know, all the Olympics, it was a pretty uh, special Olympics to go to, um, just based on, you know, how well to put together it was, um, you know, the athletes that were there competing. Um, and then also, you know, the, the things around uh, the Olympics that don't necessarily focus on competition was um, pretty special. I mean, I got to see the Spice Girls in the closing ceremony. Nice. How many people get to see the Spice Girls live? You know, not many. So <laughs> there certainly <laughs> was a, right there. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was a memorable moment. And I've never seen so many grown men squeal with delight when <laughs> the Spice Girls came out, aside from maybe Kylie Minogue when she came out for the closing ceremony of uh, Com Games. So uh, yeah. yeah, it was, you know, London was amazing um, and felt very, very fortunate to have a wonderful experience there. I was going to say, I, I, that, that's that's a good answer that people still react that way to Kylie in Glasgow as well. So, you know, it's that's a difficult one. Like, I mean, I, I'm guessing you're, you mentioned the Spice Girls, but I mean, what was it Kylie like at Glasgow? Kind of, was it up there? Yeah, oh yeah, it was, um, it was very, very good. And um, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, she's just such a, an icon. You know, when you think about Aussie singers, you think Kylie, you think Johnny Farnham, um, and they just elicit a response, even if you don't necessarily like, I very rarely, to be honest, listen to Kylie Minogue's music. Um, but when she comes out and she's got her gold hot pants on and, <laughs> you know, looks amazing for whatever age she actually is, you just appreciate that moment because she's such an entertainer. And those yeah. are the little like things that I think that when you're a hockey player or when you're in a sport that um, sometimes doesn't necessarily pay like a professional sport, um, you kind of wonder why you do it and you do it because you love the game, but you also do it because there's opportunities um, outside of financial gain. They're really quite special, you know, like you sort of look at the AFL players and yes, while they've got a career financial sort of career backing, um, you know, to go to Olympic games really is a, a unique experience. Now it'd be great to be able to kind of make a little bit of money at the same time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, going and having the Spice Girls at the closing ceremony, Kylie Minogue, um, walking through the village and seeing Usain Bolt in the flesh and just how much of an amazing athlete and specimen um, he actually is. You know, those are, are things that I guess money can't buy, not to sound yeah. too cliche. No, absolutely, absolutely. The, the tournament itself, I mean, obviously back in London, it was sort of pool stages, semifinals only. There were no quarterfinals back then and, Ultimately, it came to goal difference. It was a couple of goals away from a, a semi-final spot, of course. I mean, I, I guess the obvious question being how was the mood after that? Obviously, disappointment, I can imagine, to miss out on goal difference. But, I mean, is has the mood changed? Like, Do you still reflect back on sort of how the tournament went with sort of disappointment? What could have been if we'd scored a couple more goals, things like that? Or is it sort of a case of, again, it's just reflection now. I'm an Olympian. It sort of it was that experience. Uh, yeah, it still, it still is a little bit frustrating, I think, because you do like it was so close. And I think going into the tournament, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, taking it sort of step by step. And the first step is qualifying sort of for your um, semifinals. And we kind of had it in our mind that in Olympics gone by, if you get about 10 points um, within your round matches, like that sort of guarantees you a spot in the finals. Um, anyway, as it turns out, it doesn't. Um, mm. <laughs> so, yeah, it, and, you know, it's a, a game of um, inches and it never runs, you know, so true 
when it came to the the London Olympics because we went out to play New Zealand in our first match um, and it was one of the first games. It was really early, kind of in the morning, and um, the game started. And within the first couple of minutes, New Zealand scored against us, and we hit the post. And I think we went on to sort of lose that opening game. Um, and I just remember thinking, will that cost us in the long run? And as the tournament sort of went on, we did really well. We beat Germany and. Um, came up against Argentina in our last game, which we had to win and we ended up drawing. But we performed quite well. And I just kind of look back now and go, you know what, that goal, that goal in the first couple of minutes and us hitting the post, it did. It came back to sort of bite us in the bottom. So it's just such a tournament at that stage with having the, the semifinals and no quarterfinals that those little moments can ultimately cost you, even though it's a tournament that runs over two weeks um i think there's a little bit more leniency now when it comes to having quarterfinals that you can afford to drop a couple of games um you know you just have to kind of finish in the top four out of six and you've got the opportunity to then make it into the the semi-finals so i think to a certain extent it maybe is a little easier to make it into the middle rounds um you know there might be people that agree to disagree with me What's well, interesting, um, just on that, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, Georgie Parker spoke out about that during Tokyo where obviously with how the Hockey Roos went out in the quarterfinals, she was sort of talking about how I think she didn't agree with the fact there was a quarterfinals and maybe should just go straight to a semifinals. Do you, do you think they should revert back to that format that they did have prior to Rio? Yeah, well, you know, I think that um, people kind of look at what Georgie sort of said and they kind of go, oh, it's a sore loser because you guys got knocked out in the, the quarterfinals and um, but to be honest, I think I would have had the same thought even prior to this Olympic campaign. Um, I think we should be rewarding consistency. And I think the other model um, rewards consistency more than this one uh, where there's the quarterfinals. So I think we should revert back. But in saying that, I can understand from a broadcast perspective that having quarterfinals keeps teams, particularly the host team, um, in contention for medals for a longer period of time. So I think from a broadcast perspective, that's why they do it. Um, you know, you've got more teams that have the potential to get into the semifinals. You're going to have more people watching. There's an element of drama. I mean, imagine the number one team that's unbeaten or gone through undefeated gets knocked down in the quarterfinals. It's yeah. a fairly uh, emotional time. It's the excitement for you know, India that has gone through to the semi-finals where thousands upon thousands, thousands love hockey. You know, it's their national sport. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just so exciting for them. And then you've got the heartbreak for Australia. Um, so that's what quarterfinals creates. It creates moments like that, which I think then sort of reinforces that model, even though I think if you speak with most athletes um, when it comes to hockey, I reckon that if you're a realistic chance of meddling, you would sort of um, favour the getting rid of the quarterfinals and just having the, the semifinal and having to finish top two and you pool in order to progress into the medal rounds. Um, but, you know, it's a conversation that people have got different opinions on. I can see it from both sides. But I do agree with um, Georgie Parker that I, I don't like quarterfinals from an athlete's perspective. I've got to ask a question. A lot is obviously mentioned about sort of this curse that 
is over the kookaburras, you know, never can quite, you know, get that dominance in the Olympics that they do on the world stage. But what is it now about the hockey roos post-Sydney? I, I, I sing fifth, 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 sixth, fifth. Like, this fifth place finish, we've got to stop, Ash. Like, what what can we do to stop finishing <laughs> fifth at an stop. Olympics? It must finish. <laughs> yes. Um, I, they've got the potential. And I think that we saw at this Olympic Games that, you know, there was a lot that kind of went on prior to the Olympics in terms of um, uh, selections and reviews. And, you know, I've never seen a, a hockey roost team so um, gel together so well, perform so well in Olympic Games in recent years. And, you know, I thought, thought that they certainly have the uh, potential to, to win a gold medal. Um, and, you know, that's saying something because I, I think Holland have been the, the dominant side for many, many years. Um, so, you know, it was uh, disappointing. I think that it's a relatively young team um, and I, I feel as though if we kind of get another three years, the next Olympics, um, we'll see this side sort of stay together. And experience is quite important at an Olympic Games. Um, and I think we sort of saw that go missing um, in that final game against India. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe next Olympic Games, just having a core group that stays together for this period of time, it's a very talented, it's a fast side as well um, and, you know, physically very fit. This is a group that I actually genuinely believe might be able to kind of break that, that hoodoo. Great. Well, we'll definitely be keeping an <laughs> I say eye that now and I probably put yes. the mockers on them. Well, we'll loop that um, in in our Paris <laughs> coverage. Hey, remember that time that Ash Nelson said this? Well, look at them, fifth again. Thanks, Ash. Yeah, uh. exactly, exactly. But, you know, and but the thing is, is that if the, the old model was in place, the hockey roos would have, would have had a model. Now, I know mm. that's kind of you saying, like, you know, in, at the end of the day, they didn't get one. Um, but... It certainly showed that they are a dominant force if you look at their performance solely on, you know, game by game. Yeah, for sure. Before we let you go, Ash, you're obviously now in journalism. Uh, was this ever something that kind of you, you thought you were doing, sports reporting for Channel 10? And, and sort of uh, how, are you, how are you finding it? Yeah, I've kind of um, dabbled in a few little uh, bits and pieces. I don't think you really get the opportunity to explore your career as much when you sort of focus on on being an athlete so um I was originally an occupational therapist and um I always had a bit of an interest in uh writing I think when I was in year 10 I went and did a little kind of work experience at um channel 7 so I think in the back of my mind I was always kind of going between healthcare and uh broadcasting or journalism and then you know, one of the silver linings of, I guess, missing out on Rio Olympics with the knee injury um, was that I um, started to be more involved in coverage of um, the Rio Olympic Games. So going and sort of doing some radio bits and pieces and making comment. And I found that I really liked that. And so then I started doing a blend of media and occupational therapy, which um, was great, but it got a bit taxing because I'd wake up in the morning and go, what am I actually doing with my day? What kind of hat do I have to have on? So, um, you know, I just kind of thought that, well, I love sport. Uh, I love presenting. I love hearing people's stories. Um, I think that it's always fascinating. And um, most of the time when you look at the news, it can be a little bit depressing, but sport generally is pretty happy. 
Uh, so it kind of made yes. sense that that would be the <laughs> generally um, that'd be the path that I'd kind of head down. And um, yeah, I do. I, I really enjoy it, and I love sport. You know, I've got a soft spot, obviously, for hockey and Olympic sports. But um, as you heard, you know, I love the the AFL and um, AFLWs growing. So yeah. sort of being a part of the uh, women in sport and pushing it has been great, but also pushing. Um, women in broadcasting sport as well has been um, good to be a part of as well. And I, I'm really enjoying the growth in that area and the opportunities that it presents. Got to ask, journalists are journalists. This is a question we all like to ask anyway and sometimes. Uh, most famous person or most exciting person you've interviewed? Go on, let us know. Oh, <laughs> I, I interviewed. Oh, see, I was going to say that I've met and probably would have actually been being a hockey player. So the Queen I've met a couple of times. Wow. Um, and then um, the the funny one was is that I, we actually met Prince Philip when we were at the pool wow. at the Com Games. And now, like you know, hindsight, you look back, you're like, oh, that might be a little bit like creepy. But not too many. <laughs> not not often do you, you meet royals in your your togs or bathers. Yeah. Um. Uh, and Roger Federer. So none of I was them. I mentioned Roger. I've seen yeah, that Roger, photo. Yeah, Roger. Yeah. Yeah. I had a photo with Roger, which was amazing. But none of them I actually interviewed. And now that you're talking about who's the most famous person that I've interviewed, I've kind of drawn a, a bit of a, a blank. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> the Queen, though, because I remember that photo what, in Glasgow where she photobombed. You, you weren't in that photobomb photo, were you? Or was that no, your, your that was um, another um, WA girl, so Jade Taylor. Right. Um, so, yeah, photobombed her, and that went absolutely viral. It so, did. Um, yeah, that was uh, an hilarious moment. I think that I've never seen a... Uh, Twitter account get so many followers in one period of time as to after she posted that it was just went absolutely um, wow. ballistic. So Crazy. the Royals they love the hockey. Um, Kate Middleton Good. loves um, hockey, and they often uh, down there when um, you know uh, there's an international tournament over in England. Fantastic. Good to hear. Wes, before we let you go, I mean, if people want to kind of stay up to date with, with what you're up to, your journey, besides tuning in, of course, to Channel 10 every single night, uh, Instagram, social media, where can people follow you? Oh, well, I actually have my Twitter account hacked, and so I'm starting from scratch again. Um, so I've got a new Twitter handle, AshNelson08. So follow that. Don't follow Nelson underscore Ashley because that's not me anymore. <laughs> um, story and um, yeah, I, most of the anything that I'm sort of doing, um, as far as journalism goes, uh, usually goes on on Twitter. So I'd say check that out. Great, awesome, Ash. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to have you on the show today. To have somebody from the real hockey on the show and uh, learn a little bit more about your career. Best of luck with everything moving forward. I don't want to say go Eagles. I'm a Carlton supporter. Actually, can't stand oh. the Eagles, so I'll, I'll end on that note. Uh, but uh, we appreciate your time here on uh, off the podium today. Listen, I think you need more luck than me being a Carlton oh, yeah. supporter than coach. an Eagles supporter. So exactly, exactly. So best wishes to you. Thanks for having me, but good luck in the future. And a big thanks to Ash there. A lot of fun. And we've got some more hockey athletes coming up, and I'm excited for that. I, I do obviously love all forms of hockey. I'm a, I'm a mad ice hockey fan, but having played field hockey, it's always something that's quite partial to me and getting that opportunity to talk about it is always fun. And although I will say I never got to meet the queen playing hockey. So uh, clearly I, I, I said many, many times in that interview that the peak, of course, is representing your country, but I think the peak of hockey 
it's meeting the Queen, particularly if the Royals love their hockey. So um, there's a there's a moment in itself. But a big thanks to Ash there for her time. Great to get her on the show and chat. Plenty more interviews still to come here and off the podium in the lead up to Beijing, keeping you entertained, of course. If you want to stay up to date with all the episodes and interviews that we do have for you, hit us up on the good podcast platforms out there. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcast, simply search Off The Podium. We are on there. Hit the subscribe button. Never miss an episode. And, of course, you can go back and listen to all the old episodes. Scroll through there to see who you've missed or re-listen to again if you've got a particular favour that you want to hear over and over again. You can even hear our coverage from past Olympics. We go all the way back to Rio, daily coverage in Rio, then Pyeongchang, then, of course, in Tokyo. We've got other coverage, sort of a couple of episodes we did during the Commonwealth Games back in 2018, our Paralympics wrap that we did during the Tokyo Paralympics. So, obviously, a bunch of other fun episodes covering Olympics. And outside of those, we do have other episodes uh, talking about medal designs and, of course, going over what we think about certain sports in the Olympics. We've got a preview sort of episode looking ahead to Beijing, which we'll do another full preview episode coming up. And some other episodes you might have missed, our discussion point when Brisbane got the Olympics earlier this year. And there's even a chat and an episode about that time I stupid try to get Hobart to get the Olympics and it went a little bit crazy so uh, if you're a first time listener to the show there are some of the things that you have missed here and off the podium plenty to keep you entertained if you're enjoying the content that we're putting out there I'm sure you'll find something out there that you will love and enjoy and social media as well off the podium Facebook Twitter Instagram stay up to date with everything that we've got going on there big thanks again to Ash big thanks to everyone else for tuning into the show my name is Ben this is off the podium and as always go left I'm turning Japanese, I really think